speaks?
good morning. And I am so glad to see each and every one of you. I want to thank you for your prayers for me and my family. Uh, as you know, this morning we said goodbye to George Travis. He left out the United States Marine Corps. So thank you for your prayers for that. We were in Harker Heights this morning. I got to see him get on the bus and leave. And so it's very emotional uh, time for me. So please be in prayer for that. This is my second one to go. Thank you very much. So, you know, I get moving up here and knock that bottle of water down. All right. So, uh, back there, some of our family coming in right now. Blessed be the name of the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Right on time. Thank you, Jesus. Let me tell you, what in the world would a man do without a godly wife? Amen. I'm telling you, the Bible means it when it says, and you can find a woman of worth. Well, I'll tell you, you found a woman whose price is far above rubies. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All right. If you have your Bibles with you, turn with me, please. The book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Before we begin there, though, uh, I want to talk a little bit about ordinary people. And that's what we are. In fact, that is... I think the Baptist claim to fame. We're ordinary people, but we serve an extraordinary God. Amen? And when you follow an extraordinary God, God does extraordinary things to ordinary people. And that starts getting me excited when I think about that. What has God done extraordinary in your life lately? What has God done extraordinary in your church's life? What has God done extraordinary in your family's life? I'm telling you, God is always at work around you, and I'm telling you, He's working in families at Robinson Avenue Baptist Church. Today's message is entitled, Ordinary People. And I believe that God wants us to express this message to you this morning, that uh, it doesn't matter how ordinary you are, God can use you. Not only will He use you, if you will give yourself to Him, He will put you to work immediately. People often think about that. Well, i got to go through 40 years of training in Bible seminary. Wrong! All you got to go to is the cross. Amen? Ordinary people. In fact, we'll start out this morning just taking a good look at a crowd right there of ordinary people. Uh, in fact, I got tickled when I took this picture because they're looking up. They're looking up. And you know what? Ordinary people need to learn to look up to God. Amen? We need to be looking up to Him. These guys right here are actually looking up at the drone that took this picture. Can put a smile on my face there. Look with me, please, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 13. Read that one verse. And let me just tell you, we are not going to stay there. We're going to move all around. So the Bible says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. We want to thank you, Lord, for your word. And I'm asking you right now, Lord, to send your spirit into our hearts. Touch us, Lord God. If there's anybody that needs to come to know your personal Lord and Savior, anybody, Father God, that needs to get their heart right with you, anybody, Lord, that needs to be encouraged this morning, would you let this morning be the morning? As we give you the praise, the honor, and glory. As we begin looking into our scripture this morning, we come to realize there is no temptation that is overtaking you except such as is common to man. And so I want you to look at that a little bit deeper. Not only is temptation common to man, but man is common to temptation. And that means we have something in common. We all have something in common together. And what's common together is that we are 
are tempted. Can I get an amen on that? Everybody gets tempted. If you're not tempted, then you're probably not saying you're ordinary this morning. You're probably sitting there saying, I'm extraordinary. And incidentally, that is in itself a temptation. The Bible tells us no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. And as we run with that thought, let's look at common man. And let's take a look at what makes us common. In fact, if you were to compare us to animals, and I'll listen to my wife in a wonderful, masterful debate with someone last night on the telephone, someone who believes in an intelligent design, but not necessarily that God had created us. And it was a back-and-forth debate, and finally my wife made his mouth stop when she said, the difference between humans and animals is the ability to reason. Let me give you an explanation of that. Number one, the difference between mankind and animals. Remember, we're talking about common mankind this morning, and there's a difference between us, and no matter what, no matter how much you love that animal, it cannot reason. It cannot reason. You can put in front of it an entire bucket of Legos and instructions, and it will not build a Batmobile. Amen? No matter how hard or how long you leave it there, you can put all the parts of your car out in front of it, and it's step-by-step instructions, and that animal will never do it. You can leave lumber, drywall, tin penny nails, hammers, crowbars, and even a crew to be commanded by that animal, and it will never, ever happen. And the reason why is it cannot reason. It cannot reason. It cannot determine between what's right and what's wrong. It cannot say what is lawful or what is unlawful. You can, because God has taken the time to write on every one of our hearts what is wrong. And that makes a difference between us and animals. You know, most people will say, we're all animals. Well, some folks are animals. Here I get it. We have the ability to reason. And when you lose your ability to reason, you become animal-like. Incidentally, the more we let go of morals in our country, the more animal-like our country becomes. Amen. That's right. We're letting go of the morality of marriage, the morality of sex before marriage. We're letting go of morals, and we're starting to act like animals. You know something else that separates humans from animals? Accountability. Accountable to somebody. What makes atheists and agnostics angry is when they realize they're accountable to God. They think, I don't want to be accountable to Him. And that's the reason why they fight so hard against God's existence, because that makes them accountable to God. Let's look this morning at how God used ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And you know, the Bible is just chock full of that. It is chock full, so I had to stop at just three this morning. Go like this. That means three in the Baptist church, right? We always do three because that's the way things are. Three and a point here in the Baptist church. But our first look this morning is going to come out of Genesis chapter 5. And I would like for you to look with me in verses 21 to 24. We take a look at our first person in the Bible who was an ordinary individual, yet God did something extraordinary with. In fact, you might be thinking, wonder who this guy is in Genesis chapter 5. Some of you already know. Let's look at verse 21 here. The Bible says, Enoch lived 65 years. Got Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, 
think about how extraordinary that is. Number one, Enoch lived 365 years. That's pretty extraordinary right there. Because you might be saying, well, in the Old Testament, Josh, we got people who lived 950 years. In fact, his own son, Methuselah, lived 969 years. Which brings to me our first talk this morning. Aren't you glad you don't celebrate birthdays of those guys? Think about what the birthday cake would look like. 365 years. What about Methuselah's? Aren't you glad they didn't celebrate birthdays like we do way back in those days? Could you imagine Methuselah's birthday cake? What do you think it would look like? There it is right there. <laughs> Isn't it nice to laugh in the house of the Lord? The Bible says a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. And let me tell you something else, friends. I want you to think about this for just a second. What in the world would have happened if they set fire to all those birthday candles? Would there have been any cake left? Probably not. Incidentally, Methuselah lived 969 years. He was the son of Enoch. Enoch only lived 365 years, and that was relatively short in those days. And there's a whole lot of reasons why. But I want you to know, uh, Enoch only lived those 365 years, so he was just a kid by those standards. Think about that. He was a young kid. And there's a reason for this thing. Bible tells us he's 65. He begets Methuselah, and then he walks with God for 300 years. Let's get back to Enoch. What made him extraordinary? Incidentally, I'm going to give you a disclaimer this morning. Our last president made himself famous on Twitter. In fact, he used Twitter to great effect. Well, I'm going to be the first pastor to get famous using memes. Amen? Ha, ha. Let's get back to Enoch. What made him extraordinary? The Bible says he walked with God. God took him. That is something extraordinary. Enoch, he was an ordinary guy, yet God did something extraordinary with him. And it came out of something Enoch was doing. And I want you to know right now that God can do something extraordinary with you if you will start doing what Enoch was doing. You say, Pastor, what was Enoch doing? Well, the Bible tells us he walked with God. Now think about that for a second. He walked with God. That's what Adam and Eve were doing in the Garden of Eden, walking with God. They knew God. They heard God's voice. They surrendered to God's voice. They worshipped and they listened to Him. And the Bible tells us Enoch started walking with God. If you want God to start doing something extraordinary in your life, it's time for you to start walking with God. Most of the time, us ordinary people, ordinary church members, ordinary Christians, ordinary Baptists, we want to walk a different way than God is walking and expect God to bless us. We need to start walking the way God is walking and we'll find out God will do something extraordinary with an ordinary person. In fact, it's not about us anyways. It's always been about God. Enoch was ordinary. What made him extraordinary? He walked with God. Now look at this right here for just a second. When you walk with God, you begin to agree with God. In fact, the Bible says that. Look with me in Amos 3 and verse 3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? 
Can they walk down the road together? How many of you have witnessed this in your lifetime? As you begin walking with somebody you know, you begin talking, you begin disagreeing, and the first thing someone does is get off at the next stop. Amen? They appear together, they go a little bit further down the road. Think about that for a second. How many of you sat with somebody on a bus, sat with somebody in a taxi cab, and then when you started disagreeing, you began saying, well, you know, I think I'm going to take a different bus. You see that today. It's the year 2021. And you can watch a lady say, I'm going to go to lunch with her, I'm going to disagree with her, and I'm going to a different restaurant next week. That means they ain't in a Baptist church. When you walk with God, you begin to agree with God. If you put it in your heart to walk with Him, to talk with Him, along life's narrow way, then you start agreeing with God. And incidentally, you can't walk with God unless you agree with Him. If you're going to go God's way, then you've got to start agreeing with God. And guess what? When you agree with God, you come to understand that God is right and we are wrong. The Bible tells us that as well in Isaiah 1 verse 18. As God is speaking to the prophet, he says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Come on, God says, walk with me. We'll talk about what's hurting in your life. We'll talk about what's ruining you, what's keeping you away from me. It's your sins. And if you will walk with me and talk with me, let's reason about it together. You will realize that I can change you from being scarlet into white. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. If you walk with God, you will agree with God. And if you agree with God, you will come to realize, to understand that God is right and we are wrong. Now, I want you to go back to Enoch. And I want you to start thinking about Enoch walking with God. And as that walk began, that walk developed into something beautiful. It was no longer just looking up saying, God, look at these wonderful, beautiful stars. I know you're all-powerful. I know you're wonderful. And I can only imagine if this is the bottom side of heaven, what the top side must look like. I wonder how that relationship began. Incidentally, if you were to spend time looking at the lifespans of those Genesis individuals, you would realize that Adam was still in the ark. And Enoch starts to walk with God. Enoch is a direct descendant from Adam. Like in our traditional family, grandpa, great grandpa, great 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 grandpa was involved in those families. You can imagine what it would have been like when that little whippersnapper Enoch, 65 years old, walked up and said, Grandpa Adam. Now we're in Texas. Papa. Began to agree 
what you could have do was righteous. Now you don't understand all that God can do in life. Maybe that's where you are this morning in the middle of You've been walking with God a long time. Yet, like most ordinary humans, we tend to, to mature a little differently, don't we? Some of us get into that stage of agreeing with God as it becomes. Begin to agree with God. You know what happens when, a, when an ordinary person agrees with God? You want, you want to know what happens when an ordinary person starts agreeing with God? You know what I think? I think they get saved. Amen? You need to agree with God this morning. You need to start to walk with Him. Because the Bible says you can't walk with Him unless you agree with Him. And incidentally, when you start agreeing Isaiah 1, 18 says, Come now, let us reason together. That's not let us barter. That's not let us make a deal, even though there are some of you in the pews right now saying, I told God if He would do this, I would do that. God's not up in heaven saying, let's make a deal. God is saying right now, this is the deal. The deal is my only begotten Son. And that is this. Come now, let's reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be as wool. When you agree with God, you begin to understand who is righteous and where wrong. So when you understand that God is righteous, nothing else begins to happen in a Christian's life. Most churches think it happens immediately. I don't think so. I think your ability to truly worship starts coming as you walk with God, as you start understanding how righteous and how holy when you start realizing our God is always at work, when you realize our God is always moving, when you understand that God is trying, you begin to worship. When you worship, that's when you make yourself accountable. Remember we kind of talked about that this morning. And the first thing a Christian does when they sin is they desire that intimacy of that worship again, don't they? Some of you are going just like this this morning. You know what I'm talking about. When you sin and you get on your knees before God and you say, Where's His presence? Where's His Spirit? How come that joy is not here? And you know why? Because you have told God, I'm right and you're wrong. And you have walked out of that fellowship. God's saying, Come. understand that God is right, you begin to worship. And when you worship, you make yourself accountable to God. And you place yourself under God's authority. Now that's the scary part, isn't it? You mean God's in charge? Well, like this. Who's driving this car anyway? God is! That's what we're trying to see this morning. Enoch worshiped. And when the Bible talks about him walking with God for 300 years, he was worshiping. Now let me ask you a question. What is worship to you? Do you think worship is still fun? What do you think worship is? Enoch worshiped. God's no fault. You 
don't start singing songs while the Abraham is being discussed. Everybody loves that. Father Abraham walked with God. God said, come, follow me. Walk with me. I will take you to a place I will show you. Let's reason together. Let's talk about it, Abraham. with you, your only son. I think they went up on the mountain to sing a song, a slow song. Abraham went up on the mountain to get there. That's what worship is. You say, why do you connect that with worship? Because Abraham says that as the servant looked at Father Abraham and at his son, Hitchcock, as his son Isaac, Abraham says, the lad and I will go up on the mountain to worship. That's what they were going on the mountain to do, to worship. Worship is true obedience. And true obedience is worship. It's not just a slow song. Let's look at our second point this morning. Ordinary people, Enoch. Enoch worshiped. He walked with God and he worshiped. And if you want to get out of your ordinary Christianity and start getting into something extraordinary, it's time for you start being obedient. It's time for you to start worshiping. Look at our second this morning. Comes out of James chapter 5. I'm going to look at another Old Testament man. His name is Eliyahu. Elijah. Elijah was a man, the Bible says in James 5, 17 and 18, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And I want to give you an older translation real quick on that. Elijah was a common man with likes and wants and problems He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Elijah was a man like us, an ordinary person. Incidentally, there's a picture of him right there. Of course, that's probably not how he actually looked. As you know, my famous Robertson Avenue disclaimer, we had no Polaroids in those days. So take a guess right there. That's kind of what he looked like. He's praying there. I love how the ground has all the cracks in it. Perhaps this is where he's starting to pray for the rain to come. Elijah was a common man like us. Enoch was an ordinary person. And he walked with God. And God took him. Elijah was a common man. And the Bible says he prayed. Can you see where we're going now? Can you see where we're going now? Some of the older translations of the Bible actually state in that verse of James that Elijah was a man like us, that Elijah was an average man, a common person, an ordinary man. The point is that he had nothing to make him extraordinary. He had nothing to set him above the crowd. If you're talking about his fabulous wardrobe, you'd be wrong. If you're talking about his wonderful diet, you'd be wrong. There was nothing that made him extraordinary except his ability to pray. What made Elijah extraordinary? He prayed. He prayed when things were going bad. He prayed when things were going good. He prayed when things looked like they couldn't ever be fixed. He prayed when 
Elijah saying? What made Elijah extraordinary? Prayer. Elijah prayed. Can I ask you a question? Are you a praying Christian this morning? Are you a praying Christian? So I'll pray when I get to church, Pastor. We should always be in prayer at all times about all things. Did something steal some of your peace? Start praying about it. Did something make you angry? Pray about it. I have learned in my lifetime that if I speak before I pray, I end up causing more trouble. Somebody say amen. In fact, if you'll start praying, you'll realize that usually the person that's making you angry starts going away. Boy, that's a secret right there, isn't it? You know what else you could do? You could do what Jesus did. You know what Jesus did? Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. And generally speaking, most people started leaving then. Elijah was extraordinary because he prayed. And the book, tell, the book of James tells us that he was a man of prayer. When he prayed, no rain came. He prayed and the rain came back. What made Elijah extraordinary? Prayer. And you can become an extraordinary Christian if you will develop a prayer life in your Christianity. When we pray, I'm not talking about needless prayer. I'm not talking about some wrong, drawn-on prayer. I'm talking about prayer that pulls your heart out. I'm talking about prayer that says, God, this bothered me. God, that made me happy. God, this really concerned me. And Father God, I don't know what's going on. That seems to be most of my prayer life nowadays. When I was a young Christian, you know how I used to pray? God, I want you to do this and I want you to do it right now. Nowadays, it's God, what are you doing and how can I join you in what you're doing? Real prayer is a prayer that's heartfelt that real prayer is a prayer that communes with God. In fact, you might not be a Christian this morning. You might be sitting there saying, I pray all the time. I want you to know that I believe with all of my heart that God does not hear the prayer of non-Christians. The only prayer of a non-Christian God will hear, as far as I'm concerned, is the true prayer of repentance. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 15.29 that the Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. What's implied there is that He hears the righteous, but He doesn't listen to those that are wicked. And I want you to know that if you don't have Jesus, you're wicked as far as God's judgment standards are concerned. He doesn't hear those prayers. You might be sitting there saying, well, I pray all the time and God's done things for me. I want you to know that God is waiting for you to pray that prayer of Jesus coming to my heart, coming to my life, real really praying, God listens. Look at me in 1 John 5, 14. Now this is the confidence the Bible says that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Boy, that's the, that's the secret right there, isn't it? Most people say, I want to ask anything that comes to my heart. The Bible says according to His will. And if you're a real Christian, you're walking with Father God, you're worshiping Father God, you're communing and praying, and you find yourself becoming more like God, and your prayer starts matching His heart's concern. And you find out His will is His done. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. You may sit in the pew this morning saying, God doesn't hear my prayers. You start praying according to His will. You say, what is God's will? Are you ready for this? It may come as a shocker that you get saved. We pray that Father God brings you to Jesus. 
When we pray for God's will, listen to me now, when we truly pray for God's will, we forget about ourselves. When you start pouring your heart out about what's going on in this world, you will find yourself putting your wants, your desires, and what's bothering you behind you. Have you ever listened to the Lord's Prayer? Help me to forgive, Lord. Help me to forgive. Give me exactly what I need. Nothing less, nothing more. We start focusing on who God is in real prayer. Let's look at our third person this morning. Our third look. This comes out of Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Actually, we're going to have two of them in this particular story. The Bible tells us in verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. This is the Sanhedrin strategy. This is the Sanhedrin court. They had arrested Peter and John because they were preaching that they had healed a man who could not move his legs. He was lame. He was born lame from birth. And they healed him in the name of Jesus. They got up and began leaping. They began jumping. They began praising God. And of course, a crowd gathered around. Isn't that the way it goes? And they brought him, they brought Peter and John before the court. And the court took a look at them. Look at verse 13. They perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men. I don't know about you, but that's pretty ordinary in my book. I love Robert Snaggley Baptist Church because he has people with PhDs, he has people with master's degrees, he has people with bachelor's degrees, associate's degrees, and GEDs. Amen? We have people of all colors, from black all the way down to green or polka dots. We got them all. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, when they saw their boldness, they perceived, they began to understand that these men were not educated inside of their seminaries. These men were not educated in some preaching school on how to do it. They were educated by Jesus. They were uneducated by men. They were untrained by men. And the Bible says these men marveled at Peter and John. Marveled at them. And they realized they had been with you want God to do something extraordinary in your life, then you're going to start doing what Peter and John did. And the Bible tells us what they did. When those Pharisees and Sadducees looked at Peter and John, the Bible says they perceived, they understood, they realized those two guys had been with Jesus. And it's time, church, that we stand up again and the world starts realizing we've been with Jesus. Wherever we go, they should marvel and say, that guy is a Christian. He's been with Jesus. That guy is a Christian. Should be walking with God. That person knows God. There's something about them. And I'm perceiving that. Our third look this morning is at Peter and John. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. There's a picture of them right there. There's a picture of them right there. Peter and John. And I like to think about it kind of similar to that. They're in chains. They're kind of embarrassed. In fact, they get told, don't you preach in that name anymore. Do not heal in that name. And they go out. In fact, they get delivered and put out. They begin preaching the very next day. Peter and John, the Bible says, those in authority realized that they were uneducated and they were untrained. They were ordinary people. And you might be sitting there in the pew this morning saying, I'm uneducated pastor. I'm untrained. I don't know how to do it. I want you to know something. All you got to do is what Peter and John did. Be with Jesus. When you put your head on the breast of Jesus like John did, 
it as the Last Supper and you hear the heartbeat of God, then you'll start realizing the will of God is to seek and to save that which is lost. You'll start realizing that it's the mission of the church to bring the gospel to those that are dying in their sin. You'll start realizing that we have a calling. We have a purpose. And our purpose is to bring Jesus Christ to the very ends of this world. Amen? These people have realized their identity in Jesus. Ordinary people become extraordinary because we serve an extraordinary God. Amen? Peter and John were bold. Now, listen to this. They were bold. They were obedient. And they were grateful. Now, wait a minute. I didn't read anything there about them being grateful. Well, remember, they go back out and preach again. And they get arrested again. And this time they get whipped. And as they leave there, the Bible tells us they thank God that they were found worthy to suffer for Jesus. When you've been with Jesus, boldness becomes a character trait for a Christian. Did you know that? Boldness does. You get bold about Jesus. Even when people say, I don't want to hear anything about God. You realize you can't be quiet. I don't know about you, but that's an invitation for me to start speaking when someone says, I don't want to hear about God. I find every way in the world to put God in a conversation when I get I think it's hilarious when they get mad at me. Because they're really not getting mad at me. They're getting mad at me. That's right. Boldness becomes a character trait. And obedience becomes a part of the gospel. When you've been with Jesus. When you see how obedient Jesus was, the Bible tells us that He emptied Himself and came in the form of a servant, obedient even to the death of a cross. Amen. Obedience becomes your heart's desire. And then you become grateful for what He's done, what He's doing through you, and what He will do with you in the future. Look at here in Acts 5, 40 and 42. Peter and John are arrested again. Verse 40, they agreed with Him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. Rejoicing. We got beat for the name of Jesus. The Bible tells us in verse 42 that daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as God. Extend that to the year 2021. What happens now when Christians preach Jesus? You say, well, we usually don't get beat. Not usually, but it is happening worldwide nowadays, isn't it? Not here in the United States yet. Let me stress, yet. Yet. In fact, the Bible goes on to tell us that there's a time coming when men will persecute us thinking they're doing a favor for God. These two were bold. These two were grateful. And these two were obedient. In fact, let me show you something about Peter. You may not know a lot about the Apostle Peter. Peter ends up being crucified just like Jesus. Isn't that amazing? This is the man who denied Jesus three times. He ends up his life ending by crucifixion. And when they're crucifying him, he begs the guards to turn him upside down. He does not feel worthy to die the same way Jesus did. Peter was crucified upside down on an X. According to church tradition, it was because he told the tormentors that he felt unworthy to die in the same way that Jesus Christ had died. He was bold. He was obedient. And he was grateful. He 
It's time for us to become like Enoch and start walking with God. It's time for us to start being like Elijah and develop a prayer of life that prays even when it's raining and prays when it's not raining. It's time for us to become like Peter and John. Grateful for what God is doing in our lives. Here's a picture of Peter. You say, that's not an egg-shaped one. That was hard to find, y'all. Give me some credit right there. That's Peter right there. You get that. What about John? That's right, John. He's every Baptist favorite Bible writer just about. Writes the Gospel of John. Writes first, second, third John, the Revelation. We always talk about the Revelation. We quote it all the time. John, did you know that just a few days, just a few days, maybe a month before his exile on the Isle of Patmos, when he received the Revelation, God had saved some other people. When he was boiled, he was boiled in a huge basin of flaming oil during a wave of persecution in Rome. However, he was miraculously delivered from death. I want you to think about what kind of life that was, boiled in oil, yet he did not die. Stoned, and he did not die. John was then sentenced to the mines on the prison island of Patmos, where he writes the Revelation. He wrote his prophetic book of Revelation on Patmos, as we said. The Apostle John was later freed and returned to serve as the bishop of Edessa in modern-day Turkey. And he died as an old man, among the apostles of God. that day. What if you were in? Let's take it out of Costco. What if you were in the Kaleem Mall? And you began to speak to some of the that you had not known. And you go home and say, God, I didn't ask for that. That's not what I wanted. How can I change my remarks? Well, would you be Peter and John said, thank you, Lord, that I can find joy in suffering even though you sent me. Here's a picture of John I wonder what that would have felt like if he gets exiled to Patmos. I wonder if he'd have been like today's Christians. I didn't ask for this. I didn't sign up for this. This is not what I wanted. I wanted my bills paid. I wanted my heart fixed. I wanted my life repaired. And then I wanted to kick you out after you did that, God. Isn't that the way it usually goes? God, do something for me. I'll never talk to you again. Not until my life falls apart. They walked with a Savior who's capable and awesome. They walked with a Savior who has blessed us to bless people. They walked with a Savior who resurrected us to show this world what real life is. They walked with a Savior who preached so that we might give a gospel to a lost and dying world. They walked with a Savior who laid His hands on the sick and He healed them so that we might be able to realize that this world is not our home. They walked with a Savior who said, My Father's will be done so that we can learn that God's will is supreme in this world. What made these people extraordinary? Just God. There was 
nothing fancy in the AG. There was no schools. There was no understanding. There was no experiences. There was no special trial of life to go to. They chose to go with God. Look at the next. He concludes this morning. Enoch walked with God and was not without Almost as God said, I can't stand it. I gotta have you here with me forever and ever. Come on. That's the kind of worship we should be doing. What about Elijah? Praying so earnestly. God told back to him. Praying so earnestly, God sends the rain. And God Peter and John. So say, I've got a relationship with God, and they don't know God. I want to ask you, do you know God this morning? Do you really know Him? I'm talking about those who live in front and begin a relationship with Him through His Son. Would you be willing to say, Father God, I want to walk with you. I want to agree with you. I know you're right, and I'm wrong, and I want to start worshiping you through your Son. Perhaps you say, Pastor, I am a Christian, and I am saved, and I am born again. willing to come and say, Lord, I give myself to you. Did you not hear that? Did you not hear the story of Peter? Did you not hear the story of Peter this morning? Peter denied Jesus publicly. There he is on the cross upside down, thanking God for allowing Peter to get there. You too can be a Peter this morning. You too can say, Lord, Your word is quick and it's powerful. It's alive, Lord. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray right now it will cut down into our heart, Lord, into our bones, past the marrow, Father God, to reveal to us what's wrong in our walk with you. And I pray, Lord, that we would be obedient. That we'd be obedient and come this morning. And perhaps, Lord, this is the first time we've ever felt your pull before. Would you give them strength, Lord, as they come to put you in their heart? Glorified and be magnified. We give you the glory in Jesus' name. As we come, as we sing, nearer my God to thee. Come on.
Don't forget tonight, uh, 6 o'clock, we'll continue with worship. Uh, 4.30, Sister Cantata practice, the choir practice. Uh, Wednesday night, 6.30, Bible study, and so much going on. Uh, don't forget uh, Monday night, Experience of God, 6 o'clock. And for all the other Bible studies, Tuesdays the ladies and Thursdays the men, come and be a part of those things. Is there any comments, questions, or announcements I may have forgotten? Does anybody? I got more. All right. Let's close in a word of prayer. All right. Brother Matt, you go to the closing prayer for the country.